there is quite a little that we didn't understand last year that I think I can put in better perspective and give us all the more reason that we should be keeping it. Uh, so here's an announcement. Feast of Dedication, December 13 through 20. That's from next Wednesday through the following Wednesday. Uh, every evening we'll gather at 6.30 for singing, fellowship, and finger foods. We sang, I, I don't remember now, I think about eight hymns each evening, something like that. Six, eight, I, huh? Was it ten? I know we, we wanted to do a lot of singing because singing praise to God is one of the highest forms of worship there is. And it's a joyful thing. So, yeah, maybe it was ten. I know it was quite a bit. But I enjoyed it very much. <clears throat> now, instead of a potluck next weekend, uh, which we normally have on Saturday afternoon, uh, we will not have a potluck next week. And before you get too upset, uh, we're going to have a dinner at 6.30 p.m. next following next Sabbath. Uh, a prime rib roast is being provided for the main meal, and uh, you, coffee and water provided. You can bring juice, wine, strong drink if you like. Uh, what what about salads and side dishes? Okay, everybody. Oh, a potluck dinner. Okay, yeah, I, I missed that. So the meat is provided, and you can bring other side dishes to complement that. So that'll be next Saturday evening at 6.30. But we'll, our first meeting will be uh, next Wednesday at 6.30 in the evening. Okay, enough on that, I think, for today. We'll go back into Ezekiel today, and I, I want to go back to Ezekiel 1. Uh, to begin with, uh, the, the name Ezekiel, I think I probably mentioned what it means when we first started into this book. Uh, it can be either one strengthened of God, which Ezekiel certainly was. God gave him a very forthright, uh, even brusque manner at times, and gave him a forehead of flint so that he could stand up against rebellious Israelites. So one strengthened of God is one Hebrew meaning for Ezekiel, and another one is the strength of God. So one points to God giving strength to man, and the other is the strength of God itself. Now I've commented even years ago when we went through Ezekiel, most of it, that uh, there is a phrase that is used over and over throughout the book, and they shall know that I am the Eternal. And it is used so frequently that I think I would say that the theme of the book of Ezekiel is they shall know that I am the Eternal. Because that is what he constantly keeps pointing out. Now, what is the first step toward any kind of organization any kind of peaceful uh, way of people getting along together, living together in peace? Well, the very first thing that has to be established is who's in charge. And when that comes into question, then you start having all kinds of trouble. Uh, 
the kingdom of God and the universe <clears throat> was a peaceful place until someone questioned who was in charge, Satan the devil, and said, I should be in charge, I can do a better job than you, aren't I lovely? And it went downhill thereafter. Uh, it was fine in the Garden of Eden until Satan showed up and prompted Adam and Eve to ask who is in charge. And when they accepted that Satan was in charge and God wasn't, it went downhill ever after. And it's been going downhill in man's history ever since. Uh, and we are on a downhill slide here at the end, much as they were before the Noatian deluge, where God said He would destroy most everything living. He kept eight alive then. This time it looks like a hundred million there from Daniel. Uh, will survive what is coming. So, the minute we question who is in charge, we start having trouble. I could say that even of this little community we have right here. When it started out, it was very clear who was in charge, and then some began to work around the edges and declare that things weren't being done right, or the leadership wasn't adequate, and from the time that they began to question who was in charge, it has been downhill ever since. So the history of man is the same, and the history of Satan from the beginning of the first question of who was in charge. Now the book of Ezekiel is very much an end-time book, and I'll maybe even page forward a few chapters here that we might not get to today to show that this book is written with the setting in mind of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is upon us, is what is the time period that Ezekiel is writing about. So what is the first point that has to be made? Who is in charge? Now that was a question not only here, not only when Satan rebelled, it became a question in Worldwide Church of God. When it started out, it was very clear that God had appointed Herbert Armstrong to be in charge. And then when some began to question that, you began to have a rebellion of ministers, some following Ted Armstrong, some with Herbert Armstrong, some following others, just as Paul said was true in the early New Testament church. One says, I'm of Apollo, another says, I'm of this one or that one. So, when it becomes unclear who is in charge, trouble always follows. So, God has established the book of Ezekiel to show the whole earth, by the time Ezekiel is finished, who is in charge, that He is. Now, He started that process by spewing the church out of his mouth because some thought Herbert Armstrong was the one to follow or to worship almost, not God. And some are still running their churches, their splinter groups, the same way, uh, looking to Herbert Armstrong more than to God. So God is showing you and me right now who is in charge that we can do nothing without Him. No splinter group of what was the true church of God can do anything, can accomplish anything, 
under the present circumstances. So what we have to do is learn who to turn to, who to worship, who is in charge. Now we're going to see today, we saw last week, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, that Ammon and Moab would like to think that they have ascendancy over Israel, along with uh, the Edomites. So we read two chapters showing that that's not the way it is. And now we're going to see that Israel has to learn that same lesson. So he starts with the church to show, I am the one in charge. Then he turns to the nations of Israel, physical nations of Israel, to show them who is in charge. And then he begins, after that, to work with the Gentiles to show them who is in charge. So that's enough of that at the moment, but you, you look for that theme as we go through uh, the rest of this book. We came down to chapter 27. He says, The word of the Eternal came to me again, saying, Now you son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyrus, and say to Tyrus, O you that are situated at the entry of the sea, which are a merchant of the people for many coasts. Thus says the eternal God, O Tyre, you have said, I am of perfect beauty. I'm wonderful. I'm everybody's dream. I'm the American dream. I think Tyre here, uh, even as Babylon, uh, is depicted by the United States in different places because the United States, Ephraim, is the current leader of Babylon under Satan. And we know that in Revelation it says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. So it's easy to get mixed up. I don't think that's emphasis in the book of Revelation. I think it shows that that leader of the Babylonian satanic system uh, is indeed the United States today and that we will fall, and then another, the beast, the false prophet, will take over the leadership of Satan's system under Babylon because uh, America and the rest of Israel will be destroyed. So they then become the new leader of Babylon. So when you see Babylon in these prophecies, you need to read the context and see which... uh, reincarnation, shall I say, of Babylon that we're talking about. The current one or the one which is just to follow it. In Tyre, uh, as we read through this chapter, I think it becomes pretty clear that it's speaking of this part of Babylon that we are in today. Remember, he tells us to depart from Babylon, go to the wilderness, don't go clear out of it, but go to the wilderness. So he is saying that where the church is, and the preponderance of it is in this country, uh, is in Babylon, and that we are to get out of the midst of it and go out into the wilderness, and there he will deliver us. But let's go on here about Tyre and see. So it's at the entry of the sea. It's a a coastal city, uh, and it is a city of great merchandise, and trade for many coasts, or for the whole world, really, the coasts around the world. 
And we're the ones who stand up in vanity and ego and think we're the prettiest, we're the greatest, we're the best of all. And that has been shared by the other nations pretty much as well who wanted to come here, but that's going to change very rapidly. Your borders are in the midst of the seas. Your builders have perfected your beauty. So this is the most prosperous, the most, if you will, organized and beautiful uh, land that the world has ever known. Uh, the finest cities have been here, certainly as fine as any overseas, and most of them nicer until at least recently. So your borders are in the middle of the seas. We are bounded uh, on the east and the west and the south by seas. They have made all your shipboards of fir trees of Sinir. They have taken cedars from Lebanon to make masts for you. Uh, in other words, the finest of building materials have gone into our, our ships, our, our merchant uh, fleet. Uh, he would have used information based then on what they were building ships from. But we have to look forward and say, well now, what do they build ships with now? Not wood, uh, steel. Uh, it has changed, but still, the finer shipbuilders have been here and using the best uh, materials possible. Fine linen with bordered work from Egypt was that which you spread forth to be your sail. They don't sail anymore, but... Uh, they still have fine diesel engines. Blue and purple from the islands of <clears throat> Elisha was that which covered you. The inhabitants of Zidon or Sidon and Arvad were your mariners. Your wise men, O Tyrus, that were in you were your pilots. So well-trained pilots, except the one in Valdez uh, and a few other exceptions, but uh, well-trained people who could use those. You might even say air as well, because we have a tremendous merchant fleet of airplanes uh, that fly all over the world to all the coasts. So whether it be ships or whether it be planes, the point is great traders, great merchants for around the world. The ancients of Gibal and the wise men thereof wearing you, your caulkers, your builders, your maintainers, all the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to occupy your merchandise. So the ships of the seas, wherever they go, were involved with trade with this Tyrus. Then he names a bunch of them. <clears throat> Those of Persia and Lud and Foot uh, were in your army, your men of war. Uh, they hang the shield and helmet in you. They set forth your comeliness. Is that talking about the United Nations? Is it talking about alliances with other peoples that we have gotten to help protect us from those who would be our enemies? Uh, maybe so. Even the Persians and so on. We've allied right now with Iraq. Destroy them and then make them allies against Iran and others. Uh, going on down... They've made your beauty perfect, verse 11. They've, we've used them to become wealthier and wealthier. Verse 12, Tarshish was your merchant by reason of the multitude of all kind of riches, with silver, iron, tin, lead, 
they traded in your fairs. Then he mentions Javan, Tubal, and Meshach. They were your merchants. They traded the persons of men and vessels of brass in your market. Let's go back for a moment to uh, Genesis 10 and read about who this is speaking of. Genesis 10, verse 2. The sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog, we talk about Gog and Magog here at the end of the book of Ezekiel as well. They're some of the hordes of the east of Asian extraction. And Madan and Javan, there's only one letter different between that and the modern Japan. And Tubal and Meshach and Tyrus, the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. And then you have the sons of Javan or Japan, Elisha and Tarshish, Kittim and Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families and their nations. So the sons of Japheth had many different tongues. They are of the what we call the yellow or Asian races. And uh, some of the names that we're reading right here uh, in Ezekiel 27 are directly from Japheth. Well, where are our greatest trading partners today? from the east. <clears throat> we started out with Japan and uh, uh, what's the one I'm trying to think of? Uh, not Thailand, but uh, Hong Kong. Huh? Hong Kong. well, Hong Kong. Uh, uh, Taiwan is the one I was trying to think of. And then we graduated from there to China uh, and that's where our major traders are. That's where we get nearly everything Walmart sells is from uh, the Asian nations. Oh, yeah, we still trade with Israel and Western Europe and other places, but the preponderance of it is from Asia. So that's the ones that have made us in one sense great, and it's also the ones that we have made great with our trading and so on. You can read that in Revelation 18. Uh, it goes on down. Syria was your merchant. Well, the Middle East, uh, they've been merchants of oil to us. Maybe not Gugas as much as China and others, but uh, with oil. Uh, Judah and the land of Israel, they were your merchants. So, uh, here we are as Ephraim, but we are also big traders with Western Europe and have a great deal of, of interaction with that nation of Israel over there today. And they traded all kinds of things. D Damascus was your merchandise in the wares of your making for the multitude of all riches and the wine of Helbon uh, and white wood. And Dan and Javan uh, occupied in your fairs with all these different products. And it goes on down and, and names a lot of people that we've traded with. Well, we are a worldwide trader without going into all the detail of who all these might be. And I don't know that we can identify from history all the ones that it's talking about here. But it, Genesis 10 makes it pretty clear uh, on the Asian countries. But we trade all over the world. Verse 24, these were your merchants and all sorts of things. Uh, and then he names a whole bunch of things. 
25, The ships of Tarshish did sing of you in your market, and were replenished, and made very glorious in the midst of the seas. Got Asian freighters running back and forth constantly across the Pacific, (coughs) trading with the United States. Your rowers, they rowed boats back then and had sails, have brought you into great waters. The east wind has broken you in the midst of the seas. The east wind has broken us in the midst of the seas. Your riches, your fares, your merchandise, all these things, and all your men of war that are in you, and in all your company which is in the midst of you, shall fall in the midst of the seas in the day of your ruin. So this is speaking of the ruin of Tyre, uh, which is, I think, symbolic probably mostly of New York, which has been the leader in our trade. Uh, It's set out on an island at the beginning of the sea and is symbolic of trade. Now, it's it's about our nation, so it wouldn't be, I don't think, just New York, it would be L.A. and Seattle and San Francisco and Houston and, and all the ports of the land uh, would probably be summarized under Tyre because it's speaking of the nation. And Washington, D.C. is symbolic of our government. New York is symbolic of our trade and our stock market and, and uh, the seat of the U.N. and worldwide trade. So it's symbolic in that sense, I believe. But it says she's going to fall. Verse 28, The suburbs shall shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. And all that handle the oar, the mariners, and all the pilots of the sea shall come down from their ships and stand upon the land and shall cause their voice to be heard against you and shall cry bitterly and shall cast up dust on their heads. They'll wallow themselves in the ashes. A time of great sorrow because the people who are trading worldwide And we were their market and the source of a lot of things that they also took. uh, It's all going to be cut off. So they're going to be very, very upset. They shall make themselves utterly bald for you and gird them with sackcloth, symbols of mourning. And they shall weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. Does this remind you of a chapter anywhere else in the Bible? And in their wailing, they shall make up a, take up a lamentation for you and lament over you, saying, What city is like Tyrus, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares went forth out of the seas, you filled many people. Who's fed more people on earth than the United States? You did enrich the kings of the earth with the multitude of your riches of your merchandise. The petrodollar, the American dollar, has enriched countries around the world. It's falling, it's failing. But up to this point, that was the source of a lot of the wealth of the world, was what came from here. In the time when you shall be broken by the seas in the depths of the waters, your merchandise and all your company in the midst of you shall fall. All the inhabitants of the coast shall be astonished at it. And their king shall be sore afraid. They shall be troubled in their countenance. Why? Because the wealth that they have generated 
by trading with this country is going to be taken away. It's like you and how you'll feel when your Social Security or pension check is taken away. You'll be alarmed and upset and frustrated, but it's going to happen. Just like this is going to happen. The merchants among the people shall hiss at you. You shall be a terror and never shall be any more. What we have built here is going to go away and God will never allow it to be regenerated as it is. Why? We'll see that in chapter 28. Why is God going to destroy the American society and actually all societies? Let's, let's see here in chapter 28. The word of the Eternal came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyrus... And who's that? Well, let's read on. Thus says the Eternal God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. We as a nation have denied the true God and have come up with all kinds of false gods. I saw a quote on a headline the other day, a, a famous American rapper, uh, Jay-Z, I think it was, who said, Jesus is nothing, our true God is Satan. Uh, he's one of, I guess, one of the most famous of the rappers. I think he's the, isn't he the consort of one of the queens of Kardashian? Or I think he's married to one of them. Huh? Oh, Beyonce. Well, one of those sons of the devil. Uh, I don't know who's with who anymore. Doesn't, it really doesn't matter. They're all the same. Katy Perry and Beyonce worship Satan. They just come right out and say it. You going to listen to their music? I'm not. So, we've set our heart as the heart of God. What did men say even way back when the Titanic sailed? Even God couldn't ship this, couldn't sink this ship. One of the most famous quotes when it sunk on that voyage. It's first. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from you. So, this is being set up to show that men can be put in the place of God but it's going to be a far bigger picture here in a few verses. Someone who has more understanding, more access than even Daniel had. With your wisdom and with your understanding, you have gotten the, you riches and have gotten gold and silver to your treasures. By your great wisdom and by your traffic have you increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of the riches. So look back to Daniel. He was the second in charge under Nebuchadnezzar. And through his oversight of Nebuchadnezzar's treasures and over his kingdom, Daniel amassed a great fortune for Nebuchadnezzar. And here we have a nation ruled over by men who has, I'm sure, far greater treasure than Nebuchadnezzar ever had. So, it's beyond what Daniel did with Nebuchadnezzar. Even bigger. 
So, and men essentially have done this through the capitalistic system that we have had, which is failing very rapidly. So we are the richest nation the world has ever known. By your great wisdom and by your traffic have you increased your riches, and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, because you have set your heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon you, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom, and they shall defile your brightness." Now, he's been talking about the physical nation here and trading and merchants and so on, right? And how we have amassed this great, rich society. They shall bring you down to the pit, and you shall die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. So, this nation is going down, and it has set itself in the place of God. Will you yet say before him that slays you, I am God? Are you going to tell the one who's going to destroy you that you're God? You tell each other that. You tell the rest of the world that you are. But you shall be a man and no God in the hand of him that slays you. You're going to find out there is a God, and it ain't you. You shall die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, says the eternal God. So the true God is going to begin to show this nation who God is. And it isn't Satan, as so many today are beginning to say. Now let's look a bit into that. Well, before we go there, let's go back to the book of Revelation right quick. Let's, let's firmly establish what we're talking about here. Revelation 18. This is right in the middle of the end time prophecies. After these things, I, this is, it talks about the whore being destroyed by the beast and the false prophet in the few verses before 18. Uh, we are the great whore. God calls us that in Ezekiel 16. So when he speaks of the great whore here, he's speaking of us, just as Ezekiel 27 and 28, when speaking of Tyre, are speaking of us. We will be destroyed. So here comes another angel, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. There's one other place in Revelation that says that, doubling it. And it became the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now we're right on the edge of this description where we left off just now in Ezekiel that this nation has become uh, followers of Satan, and demons are rampant everywhere. And uncleanness, and hateful birds. Now we're going to see a lot about uncleanness when we start talking about the Feast of Dedication. This nation is unclean to its very soul. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Just like we read, just read in Ezekiel. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be no partakers of her sins, and ye receive not of her plagues. 
So this is speaking of the current leader of Babylon, the sole superpower, if you will, of the world right now. Won't be long till that will end, but that's the way it is right now. And he says to his people, come out of her so that you're not judged with her. Now he's saying here that our whole society, our whole culture is not of God. It's sinful, it's satanic, and she is going to be destroyed and have plagues as a result of it. Virtually anything you want to examine in our society today is ungodly. You need to think about that daily as you go through life, that wherever you go, whatever you see, basically is sinful. God is not thought of much in this country. And the Satan, the devil, has filled this country with demons and witches from the politicians through the Hollywood uh, maze and everywhere you look. It's all ungodly. Be careful what you listen to and what you see. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has rem remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double to her, double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled to her, double it. She's glorified herself and lived deliciously. Didn't we just read in Ezekiel? She says, I'm the prettiest of all. So much torment and sorrow. Give her just the opposite of all the wealth and everything she's had. Give her the opposite. For she says in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Nobody's going to hurt us. We're America. We have nothing to worry about. God save America. God bless America. It's still said. Therefore, he says, because you say this, shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. She'll be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the eternal God who judges her. Didn't he just say he was going to kill and slay in Ezekiel? And then it talks about the kings of the earth who've committed fornication and lived deliciously with her and will bewail her and lament when they see the smoke of her burning. Same thing we just read. Standing far off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. It'll be very swift. Do the merchants do what it says back in Ezekiel? They'll weep and mourn, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. It mentions all the various things. Whatever you get from Asia and around the world. And the fruits, verse 14, that your soul lusted after are departed from you. No more Walmart. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Trade will all be shut off. Ships will be stopped. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand far off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Oh, 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 that great city that was so rich, for in one hour so great riches has come to nothing. And every shipmaster and the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, stood way off and saw the smoke of her burning and saying, What city is like this great city? And they cast dust on their heads, just like Ezekiel says, 
weeping and wailing over us. Then it says in verse 20, Rejoice over her, you heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Where were the apostles and prophets killed? In Israel. And will be again. The end time prophets are going to be killed in the streets of Jerusalem. It's talking about here. It's not talking about some ancient city that no longer exists over in the Middle East. A mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And guess who's going to shut up? The voice of the musicians that have made the decadent satanic music that we hear in this country today. The craftsmen also... The millstone shall be no more heard at all. The grinding of grain won't be any food left. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in you, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your pharmaceuticals were all nations deceived. We just read that in Ezekiel 27 and 28. Now let's see a change down here in Ezekiel 28. Uh, He talks about the slaying. And to this point he's been talking about the men who've been in charge, who have built up this great nation. But let's see who's really behind it in verse 11 and down. The word of God came to me saying, Also, son of man, take a lamentation upon the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Eternal, You seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, names them all. Uh, And all these things were prepared in you in the day that you were created. So this is a created being who had been in the garden of Eden. Well, who was that? You are the anointed cherub that covered... And I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So we're beginning to lead up here and are beginning a description of Satan the devil, who was at the throne of God, who was in the Garden of Eden. And what we've been reading about Tyre up to this point is of a culture, a people, a nation, Israel, who has been ruled over by Satan the devil. Now, we had our physical leaders, but behind them was Satan, who is the king of Babylon, (laughs) the ultimate king of Babylon, the ultimate king of Tyre. So it changes here from the physical leaders to describe the one who is really in charge as the prince of the power of the air and the leader of this present evil world, as other scriptures say. Who is really in charge? Uh, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise, you have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God, And I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. 
he's going to be cast down for the last time in Revelation 12 and come after a remnant of the church. Uh, that's the last time he's going to be allowed, apparently, before the throne of God. He's cast down, never allowed to go back there to accuse God's people again. So he is mentioned as having merchandise, the multitude of your merchandise. So the, the, the great trading combines around the world really amount to fornication and disloyalty to God. Now, didn't God tell us in Deuteronomy 8, 7, and 8, when He gave us this nation, that it had everything we needed? Everything you need, it says. There was nothing that this nation did not have. Iron, gold, silver, cropland, water. It had everything you need to establish a good society. So what did we do? Instead of being thankful for and appreciating what we had, being thankful for it, and using it to the glory of God, we began to make these alliances militarily, merchandise and trade-wise, with all the other nations of the world. And what is that doing to us? It is ruining us. God did not intend this nation to do all the trade that it has been doing. He calls it fornication and adultery against him. They were right when they say, buy made in the USA. When we were pretty much self-contained, building our own merchandise, buying it, and thankful, they use the term proud, which God says we're not to use at all, we're not to be proud, but we were thankful, let's say then, <clears throat> for Made in USA. It stood for quality, for lasting goodness. Now, we're importing all kinds of cheap, shoddy merchandise from all over the world, and it is a great part of our demise. We've gone downhill the more and more we've done of it. And in that, we have relinquished our power, our money, to foreign nations. China calls the shots on us now because they, are, they have two trillion dollars of our money. And they can tell us where to go and what to do. And behind the scenes, that's exactly what they do. By trading with these people and making them rich, we have given them the back of our neck. And they have it in a vice. God did not intend us to come where we have come. But we did. He gave us everything we needed. And we blew him off and went to the other nations of the world. That's why he calls us, uh, another reason he calls us the great whore in Ezekiel 16. And it is this very thing that he talks about in Revelation 18 as well as here in Ezekiel 28. One of the main faults. And we never have, I don't think, considered all of our worldwide trade is something satanic. But when he starts talking about Satan here, he talks about his merchandise and how we have debased 
our country, which was the richest in the world, and now we're the greatest. I mean, just a few decades ago, we were the most wealthy, debt-free nation on earth. We had no debt. And in just a few decades since the 60s, we have become the world's greatest debtor nation to all these countries we've been trading with. Now we're $24 trillion or 20 in debt, depending on who you talk to. And if you consider all the things we promised to pay that we're not paying, we're $70 trillion in debt. And if you consider all the contracts that we've made back and forth across the world, we're over a quadrillion, they say two and a half quadrillion dollars in debt. That's unimaginable. It's beyond the human mind to even consider. We are totally, utterly bankrupt. The cracks are starting to show. <clears throat> but we're still greedy. Bitcoin has gone from, what, six, seven, eight hundred dollars each at the beginning of this year, rough estimate, to like, what, 19,000, I think, yesterday. And the, I mean, it's just a straight line up right now. How long can that go on? It's going to end real soon. The stock market's doing the same thing. It went from 1,000, 1,500, now it's at 24,000, almost straight up. You know, there's only so many dollars out there for investors to spend. And when everybody's bought everything they can buy, and they borrowed money to buy it, and they can't buy anymore, somebody says, I think I better sell. And somebody else says, I think I better sell. So bitcoins and dollars in the stock market are going to go the same place, down to nothing. Zephaniah 2, or Zephaniah 1, says there's going to be a great financial crash, the likes that has never been known. And we're on the edge of it. And it's going to happen very, very soon now. Because everybody that can buy a bitcoin or can buy a stock has pretty much bought it now. And there's nothing else left to buy with. All the fools have already sucked in. And it can only come down. So, merchandise. And buying and selling and greed is part of Satan's nature. And when we get greedy, we are not showing the fruit of the Spirit. We're showing the nature of Satan. So he says in 16, By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence. And you have sinned. <clears throat> We've got violence coming in our nation too. Therefore I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. He got proud about how bright and how wonderful and how beautiful he was, and that corrupted the wisdom that he had had. I will cast you to the ground. I will lay you before kings, that they may behold you. Now, he's not saying here that he's killing him. Now, he was <coughs> he's killing the leaders, the physical leaders of Tyre in the first half of the chapter. Here, he's bringing them to the ground. He's going to be bound, Revelation 20, for a thousand years, and the kings of the earth can look on how far he has fallen. That's what it's talking about. 
It shall devour you, and I'll bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. In other words, his society, his world, everything he's created is going to be destroyed and become ash. Now, he will survive and be bound forever and ever, but everything which he has created here will become ash. Again, the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Sidon and prophesy against it. Uh, But before we go there, let's grasp that Satan is the present ruler of this world. And everything he has created upon it is going to be thrown down and destroyed. God hates the society that Satan has built. Now, remember the theme? And you shall know that I am the Eternal. He's going to show the whole world, and the kings of the earth will look at Satan once he's bound and say, God is God and Satan is not. That's going to take some re-education for them to finally come to that point. That takes time. But God is going to cleanse the earth. He's going to cleanse the universe. And he starts with his church. He goes next to the nations of Israel. Then he goes to the Gentiles, where the two witnesses will ultimately go. And then he comes and binds Satan. So he is going to go through a great cleansing process and a process of showing everybody who God is. So then there's a prophecy here against Sidon. uh, Verse 22, And say, Thus says the eternal God, Behold, I am against you, Sidon, and I will be glorified in the midst of you, and they shall know that I am the eternal. So the same thing he says to everybody all the way through this book. You're going to learn who I am. I hope we know who he is. He says he's going to even show uh, Cyrus, the one he shows his riches to, that he is God, and that they'll know from the east to the west that he is God. That's in Isaiah 45. So he's saying the same thing in Isaiah that he's saying here. I'm going to show any and everybody who God is. They'll know it when I shall have executed judgments in her and shall be sanctified in her. For I will send into her pestilence and blood in the streets. And the wounded shall be judged in the midst of her by the sword upon her on every side. And they shall know that I am the Eternal. Well, who is Sidon? Uh, The commentaries and Bible dictionaries say it's the Phoenicians who were great traders. There again you have merchandise. And there is some thinking that the Phoenicians may have been Israelites who were trading by sea. (coughs) So this may be speaking of some peoples who were Israelites. But the consensus is that it was talking about trading people and who who traded by sea. Uh, So it could be Israel trading by sea, it could be others possibly trading by sea as well. But we find in the chapters just prior to this, and in Revelation 18, that the trade was going back and forth. Uh, Political fornication is two-sided. 
and we know that we're that this nation is going to be judged and come to know that God is God. You can't begin to bring peace until everybody understands who's in charge. That's the whole point of the book of Ezekiel. Who is in charge? Now, if there's any dispute on that, God is going to continue until every knee shall bow before Him. Everyone who exists, who is alive, will know who God is. <coughs> he cannot set up the millennium. He cannot set up peace until it is known that the Father and the Son are in charge. Thus says the eternal God, When I shall have gathered the house of Israel, <coughs> excuse me, from the people among whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in their land <coughs> that I have given to my servant Jacob. When I've destroyed them and bring them back, then they'll know who God is. So I think the Phoenicians, it is probably correct in saying that they were some <coughs> Israelites who traded by sea. They're mentioned in the same breath with Solomon trading around the world. Look at Solomon, just as a side thought. What did he get into? Trading with all the nations of the earth. What happened to Solomon's empire? Got destroyed. Should he have been sending ships for three-year voyages around the earth in trade? Anyway, they'll know. Let me pick it up here. Uh, they'll be sanctified in the sight of the heathen. Then shall they dwell in their land that I have given to my servant Jacob. <coughs> and they shall dwell safely therein, and shall build houses, and plant vineyards. Yea, they shall dwell with confidence, when I have executed judgments upon all those that despise them round about them, and they shall know that I am the Eternal, their God. So that is the object lesson that God is beginning now and has begun. The world has lived under Satan all this time since Adam and Eve first gave in to him. He's ruled the world. Prince of the power of the air. The present evil ruler of or the present ruler of this evil world. He's in charge. He's the king of Babylon. So any humans under him are directed by him as those of Tyre or of Babylon or of Egypt or whatever. They're under Satan. So God has to change that mentality. He started with you and me. He started with his own spiritual Israel. To take it apart, to destroy it, to get us to what, as Jeremiah says, seek God with our whole heart and recognize that He is the only power in the universe that means anything. And worship Him with all our heart. We are in the process already of that happening. This nation is beginning to see the beginnings of that. And I think it started this summer with that eclipse and the darkness going across the land 
at noonday. And it's getting worse and worse by the day. <clears throat> so he started out with the church. Now he's going to begin to show this nation, particularly and the other nations of Israel, that he is God through their destruction. Then he will go to the world and destroy it. Then he will bind Satan. And the whole world is going to know that God is God. That's not the end of the story quite. We've still got a lot of people who've lived and died since Adam and Eve that don't know who God is. So that has to be thrown into the equation as well. But when God is done, every knee that has ever been will bow to Him or be burned up or cast into an eternal prison. Spirit beings who disobeyed. So when God uses Ezekiel to get this message across over and over and over and over again throughout the entire book, they shall know that I am the Eternal. That's what the name Ezekiel means. But God is God. It behooves us to learn the lesson now. Because as we read and have read about the destruction of the church and a remnant remaining who's faithful, and we read about the destruction of Israel and a faithful remnant brought back in the millennium. There's a process going on. Who is in charge? Who is in control? Up till now, it's been Satan. And almost everything on this earth, the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, the entertainment, the, the workplace, the marketplace, the merchandising, everything is Satan's system. And it's going to be destroyed. The cities will be no more. God hates big cities. He does. He says there in Isaiah 5, Woe to him that builds house to house and field to field so that a man has no room. Now you look at his city, the New Jerusalem. Isn't it pretty heavily populated? How many people are in the western United States today? There's about 34 million in California alone. And then you add Texas, second most populous, and all these other states. There's got to, in the west alone, there's got to be 100, 100 and a quarter, 150 million. You know how big the new city of Jerusalem is going to be when it comes down in the millennium? 1,500 miles square. You know how many people are going to be living in that? 144,000. Mm. Plus two. And the angels. That's it. It's going to be a lot of space. A lot of room. <laughs> It'll be cubic miles per person. I haven't figured that up, that, that up in a long, long time if I ever did. But it's going to be a lot of elbow room. God hates these cities that Satan has built. <clears throat> who started it? After the flood, it was Nimrod. I don't know who before. But it's Satan's way. Pack people in. Get them where they are violent with each other. They're sitting on top of each other. They get where they can't, can't stand each other. Don't put your foot often on your neighbor's porch, it says, or in his house, lest he turn and hate you. On and on it goes. 
This society is not godly whatsoever. People say, oh, let's go to the cities. That's where they want a vacation, the cities, because that's where every sin there is is impacting. Why would I want to go to Las Vegas? Everything there basically is immoral or illegal according to God's way. What's there to see? What's there to do? Virtually everything is a sin. This whole society has got to be turned around. Even the whole trading system. Because Israel will be self-sufficient. And she will not allow, in the millennium, others to steal her wealth and her glory. Because God will be her glory and her wealth. And a lot of what we see going on in the earth, is it good in Daniel? There in Daniel 12, where it says that they'll go to and fro over the earth instead of staying home and raising families we're running round and round the earth doing all kinds of merchandise doing all kinds of whatever we do as we go running to and fro over the face of the earth that's not in a good context there it's not the way it's going to be what we got today our nuclear families your family and mine are spread all over this nation even different parts of the earth some of mine, because they misread fleeing from Babylon. Didn't understand where to come even to the wilderness of Babylon. When I was a kid, I knew most of my cousins. We all lived in the same town. I knew my aunts and my uncles. We all lived in the same area. Ain't that way anymore. You got one in New York, one in Alaska, and one in Florida, and one in Kansas, you know. Can't even round them all up. Maybe it's not quite that bad, but it's almost. That's not the way God intended families to be. But because of our merchandising and our big business and where the jobs are, they all head for the city instead of all living on the farm and taking care of Grandma, they throw her in a nursing home. I mean, I, I could talk and talk about all this. <clears throat> this is not God's society. We need to come to hate it as God hates it because He's going to completely destroy it, utterly and completely destroy it, and start over from scratch. But the very, very first lesson is who is in charge? It's always been the question. From Garden of Eden to Moses to the apostles, all the way through. Who is in charge? We better get that. Because God is going to show everybody it's Him. And until we learn that, we're going to be buffeted and pounded and put through trials and troubles and tests and difficulties until we get the point and turn to Him with all our heart.